Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 179, and we're going to talk about using your van as a bug out van. That's right, if you don't live full time in your van, why not prep your van in case you need to get out of town? We're also going to talk about rotating your tires. Does it make sense? It might, depends. And a place to visit that is in the center of North America. Or is it? (laughs) We may never know. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you very much for joining us here. I've recorded this one in the past because I'm in the middle of a trip as you're watching this, if you're watching it as soon as it came out. And that's why things may be a little weird. So if you've donated recently, I'm sorry not to be able to say your name here because I'm talking to you from the past like a time traveler, or maybe you're the time traveler. At any rate, we will catch up with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. If you'd like to support this program, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash 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 built to go. That's two T's, not three, not one. And it is most appreciated. There will be no ads in the podcast version of this program. So what am I talking about here? What, what do you mean a bug out vehicle? Well, I am not the world's greatest prepper. You know, if you're a prepper, good for you. Prepper, if you're not even familiar with preppers, preppers are people who are preparing for major disaster, whether it be the end of the world or an earthquake or a volcano or whatever, they're preparing to survive whatever may come. And some of them go to extreme lengths, like they'll have underground compounds and three years of food and all that. Maybe it makes sense just to be prepared a little bit, given all the stuff that can happen, whether you live in a major city or in a rural area. If you have a camper van or a van that you can use for camping, why not prepare it as your kind of escape pod in case there's a tornado or a power outage that lasts a week or something like that? Because, heck, you've got most of it already. So this is just a list of things that you might want to consider having in your van so that your van is ready to go. Boom. No matter what, you hop in your van and you can go and you've got everything you need. First thing is food. Always have a little bit of food in your van. It doesn't have to be good food. In fact, there is an argument that if you want survival food, it shouldn't be good food. It should be something you don't want to eat because then you'll only eat it when you get hungry enough that you need to. Some people have suggested cat food and dog food. I don't know if I'm going to go that far because a can of soup is just as easy to store. But but yeah, anyway, <laughs> canned food makes a lot of sense. Have a few cans of food, maybe six per person in your van. And it can be soup or whatever. Just make sure a chili would be a good option. Something that's nutritious, that has a lot of calories in it. And it will keep pretty much forever. I keep canned food in my van all the time. And even if it gets below freezing... Yeah, the contents will freeze, but they don't burst the can. And the worst that happens is the contents separate a little bit. But I find that if you heat it up, that goes away. Like, for example, I have canned soup that's frozen. And when I open it, it looks kind of weird. It's kind of gelatinous. But as I cook it, it just turns into regular soup and I can't tell the difference. So canned food is a good thing to always have in your van and obviously a way to open it. (laughs) If you don't buy cans that open themselves, make sure you have a can opener. Although you'll find a way if you're hungry enough. Another thing that is always helpful to have in your van is a change of clothes. So in my van, I have a complete change of clothes. It's just t-shirt, jeans, socks, underwear, that's it. And a pair of shoes, actually. 
they're always in my van and there's been a couple times i've been glad to have them because i've spilled something on myself and didn't have anything else with me and i think that if you have that in there even if you don't use it regularly eventually it might come in handy so consider that also consider having a coat of some sort in there in my van i have one of those bright yellow reflective kind of road worker coats if you know what i mean and i can zip out the lining so this coat can serve as a raincoat in the summer or actually as a fairly heavy winter coat i mean i wouldn't wear it if it's 20 below zero in either celsius or fahrenheit but you know if it's 28 out and i'm going to be stuck because i broke down this coat would be a very nice thing to have it has a hood and it has pockets and i can keep my fingers warm so another thing to consider you also want to have basic toiletries. Always have a roll of toilet paper. That's self-explanatory. And also have some deodorant, a comb, maybe some Advil, that kind of thing. Just the very basics of stuff that you might need if your daily home life suddenly becomes daily van life. Add on to that medications. Now, this is a tricky thing. I'm at an age where I have daily medications and the insurance companies do not want to pay for you to have extra right so i get a 90 day supply and it's exactly right for my 90 days now fortunately or unfortunately i'm not that great at taking my medication every day and over the course of a month i'll miss a few days here and there and well there's my spare supply I keep those spares in a box in the van. That way, if I accidentally run out or I lose my medicine or I leave on a trip and I've forgotten to bring my drugs, I have some in the van. And that has been very handy. I've used that more than once. That's something that's come up a few times. So figure out how, but find a way to keep some extra prescriptions in the van because you may end up needing them. In the US, in most places, you can get an emergency five-day prescription even without a doctor. If you've had a prescription in the past, if then it's not a narcotic, you know, if it's like a heart medication or blood pressure medication or something like that, usually a pharmacy will give you a five-day supply as a tide-over. And heck, that's enough to stock your van with. Another thing you should always have with you basically in any vehicle is an old cell phone with a charger. Now it doesn't have to have service, it doesn't have to be a smartphone, it just has to be a phone and you need to be able to plug it in so it has power. And the reason is that in the US and I believe Canada and maybe Mexico too, you can always call 911 on the phone even if it doesn't have service. You may have noticed that your phone sometimes says emergency calls only. That's when it's having trouble reaching the carrier, so it doesn't know that you have a subscription to AT&T or Verizon or Mint or whatever. Any phone can call 911 these days, and you want to have a way to charge it. So let's say you lose your phone. For some reason, you're trapped somewhere. If you have cell phone service, you can use any old phone to call 911, and it's just a good emergency thing. And, and what the heck else are you going to do with your old phones? So I've talked about how you can use them as cameras and things like that, but this is a pretty good use. Just stick it in the glove box and forget about it. Now, we also live in an era where a lot of people have old computers. I have a seven-year-old Chromebook, and it's perfectly fine little light computer. It works, except that Google, in their infinite wisdom, has said, nope, it's five years old. We're not going to support it anymore. I don't know why. It's money, of course. That's what everything is. But it's a perfectly decent little computer. And I stick it in my van. It just sits in there. And there have been times when I've used it. Like if there's something I need to do that I can't do on my phone, doing it on the computer, even on a Chromebook is much more convenient and, and it works. So if you have an old computer laying around, 
go ahead and throw it in the van too along with the charger now some old computers have battery issues they swell up there's things like that you know you got to be careful but i think an old chromebook is actually a great thing to just have in the van just in case you need it and in a pinch you can watch movies on it if nothing else <laughs> A very good thing to have is paper maps of your area. Like, if you're like me and you've got a home base and you part-time van life, having maps of the local area is a great idea just in case, let's say the internet goes down. Let's say GPS goes down. These are things that can happen. They haven't really happened in our lives, but all the GPS satellites stop working, having those paper maps is going to be very handy. Or if there's no internet anymore, paper maps and learn how to use them too. I grew up with paper maps. It makes perfect sense to me, but I understand some young folks who have grown up with GPS don't really get it. Spend some time and you can get these maps for free at most major rest areas or welcome areas. As soon as you cross a border, there's usually a welcome center rest area and there's often free maps there. Go ahead and pick up the maps that are around your area. Like I'm in Chicago, so I would get maps for Chicago, Indiana, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Missouri. And that would cover pretty much any place I needed to go if I were gonna bug out. Another thing you should have is a backpack. You may be in a situation where you're going to have to leave your van. And this has happened to me several times. I'm out on a trip in my van, and for whatever reason, I'm going to spend the night in a hotel. I don't have a way to get my stuff into the hotel <laughs> because everything's in my van, right? So I like had to use grocery bags or whatever and stuff some toiletries and some stuff in there. But have a small or even a big collapsible backpack in your van in case you need to abandon your van. Don't know why you would. Maybe get stuck in the snow. Maybe the roads are completely clogged up and you need to walk for some reason. Having a backpack lets you bug out of your van. And you don't have to have a bug out bag in your van, like a specific bag with all the stuff in it. You can, but since you've already got the van, I think just an empty backpack would be good enough. And heck, you can use it for getting groceries and stuff too. So it wouldn't be a bad thing to have anyway. And finally, maybe the most important thing, is have a plan. I talk about this a lot. Spend some time imagining worst case scenarios. So I live in Chicago now. Let's say that there is a major issue and Chicago is going to be shut down and we're not going to have any electricity, for example. What would I do? Well, I actually have a plan. I'm going to get in my van, which is self-powered, and I'm going to drive to my river property. That's an easy thing for me to do, and I can be self-sustaining down there without any need for power. I have that place to go to. What's your place to go to? If you don't have one, find one, or at least find an area. Where would it make sense to go? Maybe the interstates aren't a great idea. What's another road you could take to get out? Just think about that stuff, because you don't want to have to think about that stuff in an emergency. You want to plan for it ahead of time. So I'm not trying to alarm anybody or be alarmist or anything like that. I'm just saying you've got this van. It's somewhat built out, or maybe it's completely built out. I don't know what you've got. Why not take it the next step and make it something that you can use in the case of emergency? I, I just think it makes some sense. Tech Talk, should you rotate your tires? So rotating tires, this is, I, when I was a kid, I heard the term rotating your tires and I was like, aren't they always rotating? Like when the car moves, don't they rotate? 
<laughs> that is not what is meant <laughs> by rotating tires. Rotating tires means you take the wheels off of the vehicle, preferably you then rebalance them on a balancing machine, and then you put the wheels back on in a different place. You're rotating the tires around the vehicle. And there are different patterns to use. Depending on what kind of tires you have and what kind of vehicle you have, you might just swap left and right, or you might swap front and back, or you might do an X. And that depends on whether you have a directional tread tire or if your vehicle demands that. So you'll have to do your own research on that. It's generally safe to go left to right or front to back. The crosses can be a little complicated. If you're seeing uneven wear on your tires, then you should probably get that addressed first. But why do this? Why are you rotating your tires? And the answer is that it saves money in the long run. I mean, that should be your goal. Tires on your vehicle do not wear evenly. Front tires always wear out faster than back tires. Because when you turn, if you think about this, your tire is actually going sideways across the road. It's being rubbed against the road and it's losing more rubber. Back tires just go straight most of the time, but not all the time. If you're taking a sharp corner, your back tires are going to rub too. So generally your front tires are going to wear quicker. So to lengthen the life of the tires on your car, it makes some sense to swap the rears and the fronts so that they'll wear at about the same time. And then you can buy all four tires at once to try to save some money on a deal or whatever. But does it make sense to do this from a money standpoint? These days, in, unless you can actually rotate the tires yourself, like you have a little battery powered impact wrench and a way to jack up the car safely, and you know which pattern to use, yeah, that might be worth doing. But if you have to go to a shop to do it and they're charging you $100 every time to rotate the tires or more, depends on where you are, that is arguable. Um, if you do that four times in the life of a tire, that's $400. That's the cost of two tires, probably, depending on what kind of tires you get. It would actually be better not to do that and to replace the tires earlier. You would save money in the long run. So when it comes to rotating tires, you have to think about it. If you can do it yourself, it makes a lot of sense. But if you have to pay somebody to do it, you should probably do the math. And if you're not having any problems with the tires, it might make sense just to leave them alone. Product review, Amazon Prime. I've had Amazon Prime since the day it came out, which was I don't know, 25 years ago? I don't remember how long ago it was. It was a long time ago. And I love Amazon Prime. I always have. Now, I know some people don't like Amazon. They're destroying the world. I understand that. We're going to ignore that for now. But let's say that you're somebody who is okay with using Amazon. But Amazon Prime is $139 a year. Is that worth it? In my opinion, Oh, yes. Oh, it is so worth it. I mean, consider this. Amazon Prime gives you free second-day shipping on quite a few items. If you're in a major city like I am, you can often get same-day or even within an hour shipping here for certain items, which I think is crazy, and you don't have to pay any more for it. And if you're not in a rush, Amazon Prime will let you get all your deliveries on one day of the week and then give you credit for watching movies and stuff like that. So, okay, that's nice. I mean, when it first came out, that's all you got with Amazon Prime. But now, 
It also comes with streaming videos. So for 12 bucks a month, you're getting shipping on all these things and you're getting a streaming service. And 12 bucks a month is less than a lot of the streaming services are. And it's real streaming. This isn't some like, oh, it's just okay. I mean, they've got movies, they've got original shows. They've got just as much stuff as the other streaming services. Of course, it's different stuff. We're in this crazy world that every show that you like is on a different streaming service. So you have to subscribe to 30 of them if you want everything. But if you're just looking for a way to watch some TV, Amazon Prime provides it for you included with the service. But wait, there's more! <laughs> they also have games. There are games you can download with Amazon Prime. And if it's a, an Xbox game or something like that, Amazon Prime often has special bonuses if you are a Prime customer. For example, you might play Grand Theft Auto V and you'll get a bonus of an extra million dollars to spend in the game just because you're an Amazon Prime customer. Those offers change all the time. You also get free audiobooks and you get free ebooks you can subscribe to medications you can have amazon deliver your medications there's a lot of stuff you can get with amazon prime but the thing i actually like the most the thing that keeps me a loyal amazon customer to the extent that i feel funny about ordering stuff from anywhere else and holy cow what a marketing trick that is they've actually trained me that there's something wrong <laughs> with buying something from somebody else i mean it's the customer service. I know there's some horror stories out there, but the customer service with Amazon has been always top notch for me, such that if somebody steals a package, which has happened quite a few times, they will send a new one instantly, no questions asked. And if a package is lost, they will refund me for it. And if it shows up later, which happened to me just a couple days ago, oh, that's okay, you get to keep it. Everything has been great. As a 25-year customer, there's maybe been two times they've done something to annoy me. And most of the time, I'm just blown away at how good the customer service is. And it's one stop. If you buy stuff from Amazon, you know where to go to get help. You don't have to figure out, oh, geez, I bought this from this site over here and they're only open on weekdays. Amazon help is always available. So I'm a big fan of Amazon Prime. I am concerned with how they're taking over the world. I'm absolutely concerned with some of the shady stuff they've done with third-party manufacturers, how they treat the Amazon marketplace people, how they treat their employees. I am concerned with all that stuff. But as a consumer... Can I recommend Amazon Prime? And the answer is yes, I think it is a bargain. And I think if you had one subscription service for van life, Amazon Prime makes a whole lot of sense. Plus, it's really good for people who move a lot. You can have the packages delivered wherever you want. You can even change it in the middle. If you live in Topeka and suddenly you're going to go on a vacation to Florida, you can reroute the package to a box at some place in Florida and just pick it up at the box. It's really, really very, very convenient. So, folks... I have a link in the show notes. Uh, it is an affiliate link. I'm not pretending here that I don't make a little bit of money if you click my link and sign up for Amazon Prime. And if you're lucky enough to be a student, it's half price. That's right. It's only like $7 a month and you get all the stuff I talked about. The only thing you can't do with the student account is share it with a household member. If you're, if you're a couple, you only need one Prime account. You can share the stuff. But if you're a student, you get one. But I mean... How big of a deal is that? You know, if, if John and Jim are a couple, you can just have John be the one that always orders the stuff from Amazon. This is, this is not a difficult problem to solve. <laughs> hey, 
Tales from the Road. So my younger son, Simon Wagg, the composer for Built to Go, visited me in Illinois and we were down at the river property and uh, we were painting the garage that's down there. It's this old, almost hundred year old garage that needed paint badly. And we spent a week painting this garage and it came out pretty good. But Simon wanted to see the rest of the property. And uh, as I've said many times, we've got four acres on the Illinois River, but it's attached to at least 50 acres of just woods that belongs to the Illinois Valley Community College, which is on the hill above the property. And this property has a, a little bit of a history. There was a campground there at some point, and it's mentioned in a bunch of court cases involving the reversal of the Chicago River, which feeds into the Illinois River. There's some interesting stuff down there. And I have walked around in those woods and found things. Like I found all these old structures, like power poles and these weird holes in the ground. And this one building, this brick building with a door that did not have a visible lock on it, but was locked. <laughs> like I couldn't open the door, but there were no locks on it. So was it locked from the inside? <laughs> and if so, since it had no windows or any other entrance how did they lock it <laughs> well it turns out that all that stuff was actually the old sewage treatment plant for the college i did figure that out but simon wanted to see what was down there and it's kind of fun to walk around and i don't think the college minds too much since i'm their neighbor and own the property next door in fact they have keys to my gate and uh for the very first time walking around down there i ran into another person now that's a little bit strange because these woods are pretty much only accessible from our property. Our property has a road, the road leads into these woods and then stops. There's a bit of a river in there, not the Illinois river, just kind of a little one that used to have a bridge across it, but the bridge is long gone and there's no way you're going to drive across this thing. Not even with an ATV. This is even walking across. It would be difficult. It's this kind of big ravine. So coming at it from the other way just really is possible and to the north is a cliff <laughs> that's what the college is sitting on coming down that way would be very difficult the only other way to get there is from the river so i knew this person didn't walk through our property because we have cameras up we would have seen him i wasn't sure how they ended up in the woods but hey it's not my woods so i didn't even make eye contact with the person they were far enough away but when they saw us it was just one person uh, they kind of looked upset. They looked disturbed and they averted their gaze and kind of walked away. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but it's not that big of a deal. So Simon and I walked around a little bit more in the woods and I, I kind of kept looking over at this person and it was clear that they had set up a campsite, a fairly substantial one. They had built themselves like a house out of tarps and plastic and they had a kayak and lots of fishing stuff. And it was made out of like Coke bottles and ropes. And I thought this, this, this guy's living here. They had a good sized fire going and the guy himself had no shirt on. He was wearing gym shorts and was barefoot. Now these woods are filled with nettles and sharp sticks and lots and lots of flotsam and jetsam and uh, not a good place to be walking around barefoot. There's lots of broken glass and stuff. And I'm just like, you know, I really, really have to talk to this guy. I have to make sure he's okay. And I also have to make sure he's, he's not a threat of any kind. So I tried to do it in the least threatening way possible. I walked down to the river and walked along the beach. It's 
not much of a beach, but there's a little bank that you can walk on by the river, the Illinois River, that is, the big river. And that's public property. While the land is private property, the water line is public property. That's a, that's a law in Illinois. So there's not much he could say, not that he owns it anyway. And you know, I yelled at him. I, I didn't get close. I yelled up to him and said, hey, do you have everything you need? I figured that was a non-threatening way to introduce myself. And he answered, yes, in fact, I have more than I need, which I thought was interesting that a shirtless, shoeless guy living under a tarp would say that. It's an interesting thing to think about. So I, I talked to him a bit and I explained to him that he was actually on private property. It wasn't my property. I owned the property next door. And that if he would come up to my property and the properties beyond it, people wouldn't like that. I basically said, I think you're fine here, but if you go up the river, you're going to run into people with cameras and people who are wary of trespassers. And he was totally cool with that. He said, oh no, yeah, I'm happy right here. I thought this was just river property. And talking to the guy, I found out that he's kayaking down the river and building campsites as he goes. And he'd been there for a week. So this guy had been living in the woods for a week and he was fishing for catfish in the river. He had these really big hooks with with i don't know what he was using i think it was hot dogs which is a fairly common thing to fish for catfish and carp for and that's how he's sustaining himself and he said he was catching so many fish that he felt bad because he couldn't eat it all so i had a lot of thoughts about this my first thought was that my neighbors would not like this at all if my neighbors found out that there was a guy living in the woods they would probably try to do something about it and then i thought no, as a van lifer, as somebody who heads out and sleeps in his van in places that people might not like, I felt a little bit of comradeship with this guy. And I thought, you know, it's not bothering anybody. He's built a little house there and he's fishing and there may be some trash involved, but the area is filled with trash anyway from a flood in 2014. Basically all the stuff in the river washed up here and the college owns the property and they kind of have abandoned it. I'm like, you know... I don't know this guy's story. I don't know if he's doing this as an adventure or if he's homeless or what. It's not bothering anybody. I'm going to leave him alone. And, and that's exactly what I did. And so far as I know, he's still there. I don't know what he's going to do in the winter, but I do know that he's never bothered me, never bothered my property, and he hasn't bothered any of my neighbor's properties because he'd have to come through our property to get to them. So I figure if somebody's living their life and you can leave them alone, why not just leave them alone? A place to visit <laughs> or not <laughs> yeah so i thought you know let's visit the center of north america and the center of north america in most trivia questions i think will always be answered as rugby north dakota and doing a little bit of research just i found out that it's just because they said so <laughs> they said we're the center of north america and they built a monument but they're not. They're not the center of North America. There have been a few different measurements of what the center of North America is. And, and North America changes its definition over time. I mean, Greenland's part of North America. You may not have considered that, but that's one definition. Hawaii is not part of North America, but it's part of the United States. It's just part of, you know, you, you see that definitions get a little murky here. 
But one of the standard definitions was that in Rugby, North Dakota, south of Rugby, North Dakota, was the center. However, south of Rugby, North Dakota, there is Robinson, North Dakota. And Robinson, North Dakota said, well, since the center of North America is south of Rugby, and we're south of Rugby, heck, we're the center of North America. And so they claimed that they were, and they claimed that this particular bar in Robinson, North Dakota, is in fact the center of North America. And then they wanted to promote this a little bit, so they decided to get the trademark on the term center of North America. And they found out that it had lapsed, and they got the trademark for that term. Now, rugby, who bases their limited tourist trade on the fact that they are the center of North America, wasn't happy about this. And they took Robinson to court. And there was a major court case and it cost tons of money. Neither of these communities is wealthy. And at the end of it all, it looks like the center of North America is, and you can't make this stuff up, center North Dakota. That's right, the town of center North Dakota. It's like they knew something when they named the town. That is much, much closer to the actual geographic center of North America. So Rugby and Robinson can build monuments and fight over it. But if you really want to go to the center of North America, you want to go to center North Dakota. How strange is that? Center has a population of 588. This is not a big place. And I'm going to read you the paragraph from their official town website. It says, Center. The progressive town located just minutes from the scientific center of North America. Notice the scientific center. <laughs> a welcoming community with great job opportunities and friendly residents. Center offers a wide variety of recreational activities and numerous civic organizations to keep you active and involved. Find out why we say the rest of the world is okay, but it's better in center. <laughs> So, folks, if you'd like to go there, you can. And on their website, they actually have the coordinates of the Scientific Center of North America. And those coordinates are 47.1164 degrees north and 101.2996 degrees west. And if we put those in the map, you can, uh, you can actually just put coordinates in Google Maps, if you didn't know that. You get... The intersection of 1st Street and 38th Ave Southwest in Center, North Dakota. So it's kind of right downtown. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to trust Center to tell me where that is. But anyway, if you want to try to figure it out, you're at least down the street from a few different bars, including the Lone Wolf Saloon and Wolfie's Bar and Bottle Shop. And you're going to get some stories out of those places. <laughs> Resource recommendation. That's a little bit of a strange thing, and I actually could have included this in the main topic about the bug out vehicle thing. I always have a book in my van. I call it my van book. Now, I am not someone who actually reads physical books very much anymore. I used to be an avid reader, but now I find that I like audio books better because I'm usually doing stuff. And I'm at an age where if I pick up a paper book to read it, I usually fall asleep in about five minutes. So I don't actually read that many books. I do some. 
But I found a book in a little free library that looked interesting. I don't know anything about it. It's called The Dog Star, and it's my van book. And it sits in my van, and I've never read it. But having it in my van gives me the potential to read it, and it gives me something to do no matter what happens. If I break down on the side of the road and I have no internet, I will have that book. If I have to leave my van for a few days in a place that's unusual, I have that book. It's like my anchor. It's my medicine against boredom. Now, I grew up as an only child, and boredom was a huge, huge problem for me as a kid. I hated, hated being bored. I would go to extreme efforts not to be bored. In fact, I would plan on finding ways not to be bored. It was, it was that much of a problem. And today, with smartphones and Xboxes and everything, being bored seems like an impossibility. But as a kid, it was a real problem. And just having this book there, it's just like my little security that... I won't be bored. And I thought maybe I'm not the only one in this situation. So what the heck, folks? Go to a little free library. They're all over the country. You can find them at littlefreelibrary.org and pick a book, maybe something a little unusual, maybe something that you wouldn't normally read, and just put it somewhere in your van. And it's like a little bug out against boredom thing. Maybe you'll read it someday. And don't stop yourself from reading it. If you want to, go ahead and read it because you can always get another one but always have an unread book in your van, just in case. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 179. This episode was not recorded in real time. I am in the middle of a trip in Toronto, despite me being in my office. But by the time this is done, I will have had a trip in Toronto, and I'm going to make a podcast out of that trip. And I had to record this ahead of time. So anyway, thank you very much for listening. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. Until next time, remember the words of George R.R. Martin, who said... A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only once.